We are launching into a new series this week um, called DTR, or Defining the Relationships. And uh, we're going to be looking at just all different types of relationships over the next several weeks and how we can be seeking Christ first in the midst of all the different relational um, arrangements and issues that he puts in our lives. And so um, today we're going to start with singleness. Seeking Him in singleness. And um, this isn't a topic that always gets a lot of airtime in the church, but it's one that the Bible does speak to. And we want to look at that this morning together. But we're going to be, it's not, there's not like one passage that does it. So we're going to be kind of jumping around a lot today. So I'm going to have a lot of scripture on the screen for you, but feel free to, to follow along in your Bibles there as well, as you can, uh, if you can keep up, that is, <laughs> this morning as we're jumping around. And um, it's all in your notes there as well, so you can use that as a tool. <clears throat> so, as we get started this morning, I, you know, Christmas is coming up in just a few months away. I know some of you don't want to hear that yet, but um, it's on the way. And Christmas is always one of my favorite times of the year. When I was growing up, my parents made a big deal about Christmas. We went and saw our family during Christmas. It was just kind of one of those cool times. And we would always go and visit my grandparents' houses. And, um, you know, as a kid, there, was all, you, there were differences, right, between, like, one set of grandparents' house and the other set of grandparents' house. And, and the biggest difference that you notice as a kid is... The gifts, right? Like, there's different gifts at different houses. Let's just be honest, right? And so, like, when we would go to Nana's house, you would usually get something like, you know, like a homemade ornament or, like, you know, a, a nutcracker or a piece of fruit. or Like, that was, like, the gifts at Nana's house, right? And then we would go, in, you know, by the way, all stuff that, like, an 11-year-old boy just doesn't care about. I'm just telling you right now, just, just honest, that just wasn't on my radar. Although, we actually, I still have some of those handmade ornaments today, and I actually treasure them a lot more now than I did back then, um, but then we would go to Meemaw's house, right, and, and Meemaw's house brought it, right, like that's where you got the games and the toys and the basketball and like you got the good stuff there, and so I was always excited to see what Meemaw got me until one year when it all fell apart. I remember it very vividly, it was Christmas morning, we all gathered into Meemaw's living room, getting ready to open gifts, they start passing out the gifts. I know some of you, like every family has like different gift opening traditions, right? And some of you are animals and you all just rip into everything at the same time. Not at Meemaw's, right? That's not how she rolled, right? And so like everybody had to take their turn and you went around and you watched everybody open their gifts and you celebrated what they got and it was this big thing. So I'm sitting there patiently and waiting for my turn and it gets around to me and I start ripping the paper out of the bag and I reach down in there and I pull out this bright, shiny pack whitey tidies in front of all my family, including my older teenage girl cousins. And I was that is not, that is not the gift that an 11-year-old boy wants to open on Christmas morning. I was mortified, right? Especially in front of all these people. Now, now, now they know that I have them, Right? Forget the fact that I actually probably didn't need them. I did not want that gift. And I jumped up, and I threw them back in the bag, and I stormed out of the room, didn't look at Meemaw, no thank you. It was, a, it was a bad Christmas. Let me just say that, okay? Why am I telling you that story this morning? Well, sometimes the gift that we want is not always what is best for us. And sometimes the gift that we need, we don't always really want or appreciate. And one of the things that we have to understand as followers of Christ is that we have a perfect Father 
who gives us the gifts that are best for us in the times that we need them. And so as we start talking about singleness today, this is going to be, I know, a hard subject for some, and, and I, I feel that for you this morning, like there's grace in this room. Please hear me. But we need to look at what Scripture says to us on this. And that's this. God says, don't waste God's gift. And we're going to unpack that a lot. There's a lot coming, so like, don't jump ahead of me. But that's, that's the thought this morning as we walk through these texts together is don't waste God's gift in your life, whatever that is. So in terms of singleness, I'm going to break it up into like three categories today. The first one I want to look at is singleness and marriage. And I want to talk about these two coupled together for a moment because I think in the church for a long time there's kind of been this like low-grade, unresolved, underlying, sometimes even unspoken tension in the church between singles and marrieds or singleness and marriage, right? And I think it, it kind of hinges on this question of which one does God prefer, right? Like, like, which one is his favorite? Or if there was a competition, which one would he rather, which side would he rather be on, all right? And, and I think because married is typically the majority status in the church, it gets the most attention, it gets the most time, and therefore it leaves singles oftentimes feeling lost in the church, like they're second-class citizens or JV Christians in some way. And so what I want to ask today is, as we look at the Bible, is like, is that true? Is that how God sees it? Is that how he feels about singleness? So to do that, let's do a little comparison here to start. So let's start with marriage, okay? A couple things you need to know about marriage biblically. We're going to do a lot more of this later on in the series, but for just this morning's sake, first, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now for context, this is right in the middle of creation, right? God has created the entire universe. He's looked at everything. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And the first thing that God says is not good in all of creation is that man should be alone, right? Because back then, even then, God already knew that a man left to himself is a bad idea, right? Like, like he just... It's, it's, it goes nowhere good. Like exhibit number one is every dorm room and frat house in America, right? It's just not good. And so he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve this problem with marriage. I'm going to give a helper fit for him, a spouse that he can do life with. And so we see marriage is first given so that it can help fill a relational need that exists in all of us, men and women, okay? Secondly, Proverbs 18.22 writes this, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That when he finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Now, I noticed this week when I was studying that there's a couple times in the Bible it says that, but it always says that it's a positive thing when a man finds a wife. But I couldn't find any examples where it said it's a positive thing when a woman finds a husband. So I don't know what that means. I'm sorry, ladies. It's just further proof that, like, obviously we're the ones who are always marrying up, right? Like, it's good for us. It's, it's okay for you, I guess. But, but nonetheless, God does, does something special in that because he says here that he obtains favor from the Lord, right? That in some way, there's some unique experience that happens in marriage that brings the blessing and the goodness of God in a way that you don't experience in other ways. That's not like a better blessing or favor. It's just a different experience of that through the marriage relationship. 
third is Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. I'm going to just hit a couple verses in this section. Wives, he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. This is why I want to zero in on the words right here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All right, now we're going to, this is the Bible's kind of like main text on marriage and marriage roles, specifically. We're going to hit a lot more of that later on in the series, but I want to look specifically at 32, verse 32, where it says this mystery, the mystery of marriage is profound, he says. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's a picture of Christ and the church. That's why when you read Ephesians 5, you see like all the language is just like garbled together, right? Like you have like all this marriage language and all this gospel language, and it's all just intermixed together right there in the text. So he's saying, hey, this is, this is meant that one of the primary purposes and values of marriage is to serve as a picture and a witness to the rest of the world of like, hey, this is what Christ's love looks like. This is how the relationship between Christ and the church, his bride, should look. And it calls us, who are married, to, into this sacrificial, redeeming love of Christ that we then have to show to another person. And we have in that a, good, a great picture of the gospel, right? That even though we're sinners, even though we're rebellious, even though we screw up over and over and over again, God still says, I love you. And I love you so much, I'm going to come to earth to be born as a man, live a perfect and sinless life, and then die for your sin. That's how much I love you. I'm going to sacrifice that much. I'm going to give my life so that you can have eternal life with me in heaven. And Christ died on the cross, and he went into the grave, and three days later he rose back to life. Proving he was God and, and offering us this relationship of sacrificial, redeeming love. So with those three things about marriage, obviously marriage is important to God, right? He's, he's built it, he created it for a reason. So what about singleness? All right, for the primary purpose of this, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, that's the main passage I want to hit on for this one. The Corinthian church, in this section, just for context, the Corinthian church has just asked Paul, the Apostle Paul, about the appropriateness of sexual relations between a man and a woman. And they're basically, asking, they're all new Christians, right? So they're basically asking, like, hey, like, is, is sex just for, like, the world? Or, like, do Christians get that too? It's like, is that okay for us still, right? And here's how Paul responds in verses 8 and 9. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So basically Paul says, hey, sex is good, it's fine, no problem with that. But if you can abstain from it and stay single, that's good too. Right? There's a, there's, there's a good part to that. He says, but if, but if you're on fire, get married. Okay? <laughs> like, like if it's, if it's going to eat you up, like just go ahead and get married and that's fine too. But his point here really isn't the marriage or sex. His point here is about singleness. That singleness is not a deficit, 
but rather can be a benefit. And I think the church especially, and even our wider culture in America in general, neglect to see that oftentimes. That singleness can, is not a deficit, it can actually be a benefit in our lives if we allow God to use it in such a way. I think a great illustration of this actually is Paul himself, or even Jesus, who were both single. These are two guys that had two, some of the biggest impact on the world and on all of Christianity and on the start of the church, and they were purposefully single because they said, it's better if I do that and then I can serve the Lord in some unique ways. He, Paul even punctuates this idea, if you're not convinced yet, down in verse 38. Skip down to 38. He says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even, what's it say? Better? Like, how, how is singleness better, Paul? Right? We're going to get to that in a moment. But the key to this whole thing that Paul's trying to explain to us at this point is actually back in verse 7. So I'm not jumping around, but just stay with me, all right? Go back to verse 7. He says, I wish you all were as I myself am, meaning I wish you were all single like me, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. And so what Paul is saying here is that both marriage and singleness are a gift from God. They both are gifts. They both are equally valuable in God's hands. They're just different gifts for different people at different times. Both are equally beautiful, and God uses both of them to grow us and sanctify us in his holiness. That's why they're gifts, because in God's hands, they make us more like Jesus. Just a quick example of each of those. In Ephesians chapter 5 with marriage. Marriage, Paul says, is about self-sacrifice. and It's about dying to myself. To love and to submit to my spouse so we can become one flesh. He uses that language again. Meaning that my life is no longer just about me. Now it's about us together. Right? That's what marriage is. And God uses the gift of marriage to teach us more about sacrificial love for another person so we become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Singleness, going back to Genesis 2.18, remember God said it's not good for man to be alone because when we are alone, when we live a life of isolation, he knows we're going to struggle with loneliness, with sexual temptation, with where we'll be prone to selfishness and self uh, pity at times. And we, all, and we all have that at different seasons. Like we all, every single person here has went through some season of singleness in your life. None of us get out of that, right? Different times, different types, different lengths, but we all have been there and we've all experienced those different temptations and those different struggles through the work of singleness in our lives. And God uses that gift of singleness to teach us how to depend on him more than ourselves in those areas of struggle. He teaches us that we're weak when we try to go it alone. But when we depend on him, we are strong. 
which also makes us more like Jesus, because he depended on the Father as he walked this earth, walked in this earth, every moment, every day. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about just like an illustration of sorts, and it struck me, this, this combination of singleness and marriage in the church is not a new thing. If we go back to the very beginning of the church, a great illustration is the two primary leaders that God chose to build his church, right? The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. One was married, one was single, and God used both of them and partnered them together to see God's church established and grown and the gospel to spread all over the world through using both of these men in different states in their lives. God didn't prefer one over the other, right? He didn't pick one over the other. He used both for his glory. And the same is true for our lives and for the church today. God uses people with both gifts of marriage and singleness at given times to fulfill his mission and fulfill his glory. So singleness and marriage are not competing rivals, but complementary gifts from God. That's the first thing I want you to understand. That marriage and singleness, they're not, compete, they're, they're not pitted against one another in God's church. They are complementary gifts that God uses in different people, different times, different ways to accomplish all he can for his glory. He uses both. Second thing I want to talk about with singleness this morning is singleness and devotion. For this, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, Jesus is going to address this issue of singleness, although it doesn't maybe sound like it at first, but stay with me. Look at verse 12, and he says this, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Now, Again, we don't use the word eunuchs a lot today in our culture. It's not really a thing anymore. But it basically just meant it was someone who was unable to have children for various reasons. That's Jesus' point here, right? And in that day and age, if you couldn't have children, there was really, you were kind of out of the running when it came to marriage, okay? Because back then, like, that was a, one of the primary purposes of marriage was to have a big family so you could care for one another and, and, you know, provide for everybody and do the whole thing. And so if you couldn't have kids you were probably going to be single the rest of your life. That's just kind of the way it worked in that culture. And so Jesus here, he's using the word unit, but he's talking about these people who find themselves in states of singleness because of various reasons. And he says, first, there is eunuchs who are made eunuchs from birth, meaning that they were born with some physical or developmental deficiency that's going to make them unable to fulfill a marriage relationship, and they're just going to end up being single probably their whole life. Then he says, there's those who've been eunuchs by men, meaning, uh, referring to uh, that they're unable to fulfill a marriage relationship through some act that's been done against them, or through some circumstance in life that has made them physically unable, right? So for this, to translate it into today, that could be a debilitating accident that someone has, that then makes them unable to uh, fulfill a marriage relationship. It could be abuse that happens to someone when they're a child, that makes, gives them some type of like sexual aversion or sexual confusion and keeps them from a relationship, right? It could be uh, circumstances even in or out of our control that lead to divorce or lead to the death of a spouse and someone finds themselves single again because of something that happened outside of themselves, right? 
So those would all fall in this middle category. Then he says there's a third category that those who have made themselves eunuchs uh, themselves for the sake of serving God and his kingdom. And so it's by the Lord, basically. And this type is the type that Jesus is really focusing in on. And he's saying, hey, it's rooted in a heartfelt desire and choice to stay single in order to more fully serve the Lord. To give 100% of themselves to serving the Lord. And, and we know that Jesus is addressing primarily this part and this reason because of verse 11, which comes right before verse 12, right? So look at verse 11 real quick. It says, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, but to them he said, not everyone, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is giving. So in other words, only specifically those who are called by God are meant to sustain a life of singleness in order to serve him in this special way. And yet, at various times, through his three examples here, God takes all of us through seasons of singleness, whether it's for a lifetime or not. And the point is this, that all types and seasons of singleness can be a gift from God if we will receive them as such. And so to help us maybe receive from God what he's wanting to do in our lives through these different stages of singleness, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about the advantages of singleness. Three advantages specifically. So 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 32. Like, I have never turned so many pages in my Bible at harvest before in my life. I know, I know, I know, I know. Just stay with me. It's, it's all here, okay? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Here's how Paul starts, which I think is very fitting based on what we, our theme for the year is and where we started last week, right? He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So three advantages that Paul points out in this passage. The first one is freedom. The first advantage of singleness is freedom. He says, I want you to be free from anxiety. Specifically, the anxieties of marriage, right? The anxieties of having to please a spouse. He says, a husband, a, man, a married man is concerned, he's anxious about how to please his wife. I know some of you guys in here that are single, you're thinking, yeah, but that's an anxiety that I would like to have. Like, I'm down for that one. Like, all the other stuff, no, but I'll take that one. And I, and I get that, but you need to understand that there are some responsibilities that come with marriage that you might not be ready for. Right? Like, right now, you're single. You go home after work. You crash on the couch. You let Netflix just wash over you for the evening. All right? And that's, that's, your, that's it. And you do it again the next day and the next day. When you get married, that life's over, right? It doesn't work like that anymore. I remember when we first got engaged. 
all of a sudden, I'm spending hours in stores, walking around, looking at, like, dishes and picking out things for a future house. And I'm like, I, I, this was not on my plan. This was not on my agenda. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for, like, the little scanner gun I got to use in Target, I would not have made it. Right? Like, that's, that was the only saving grace for that whole experience. And, and you're going to end up having to spend money on things you never wanted to spend money on. Like pots and pans. Or curtains. Or throw pillows. Like, how many of these do we need? Like, who are these for? Who is making us do this? And it's all very confusing. And then you think, okay, I've worked hard. I've been working all day. I'm going to come home. I'm just going to sit on the couch. I'm going to relax. Nah. Because she's going to sit down next to you. And she's going to say, how was your day? And the sweeping, fine, is not going to cut it. She's going to want details and details, and then she's going to share her details with you, and you're going to have to listen to her with your face. <laughs> right? And it, it's not enough to just like, and you're going to have to process with her and process day after day, and that you do that until you die. <laughs> and you look around here at all these married men, you're like, why are they so tired? <laughs> this is why. Right? There's some things that you have to take on in marriage that you don't have right now, that you don't have to worry about right now. And it doesn't just, it's just not just on the men, right? Women, it says right here too that, that ladies have to worry and be anxious about how to please their husband. And some of you single ladies, you're going to marry a guy, and there are going to be some things that please your husband that you're not going to want to do. Things that his mama did for him, and you're like, that's not my role. You are a grown adult man. You will pick up after yourself. I am not doing this for you, right? And some of the men, you're, you're going to marry a guy who his level of cleanliness is not just poor, it's unsafe. <laughs> like you're like a man, like a human should not live like this. And it's going to be very confusing, right? And then you're going to have something happen at work or with a friend, and you're going to be like, man, I really need to process this with somebody. Like perhaps my soulmate who pledged to love me forever would like to talk with me about my emotions on this, and you're going to come home, and you're going to start pouring out your heart to him, and he's going to look back at you with a blank stare and an open mouth, and you're going to be like, I, I don't think he gets it. I don't think he understands me. And guess what? He doesn't. Right? Like, have you met us at all? Like, we do not. We get very conf- confused very easily when it comes to emotions, and we're like, he, and you're going you're to be confused. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. And all of a sudden, you're both trying to please one another, and there's all this stress and anxiety, and there's this relational strife that's happening. And you have to work through that because that's what marriage is. Right? Let me just tell you, I love being married. Right? I love working through all those things with her. But there was also a season where I loved being single and the freedom that came with that. And that's not a contradiction. Right? Both of those things can equally exist at different times in our lives. And so Paul is just saying here, like, in your singleness, you are free to give more of your time and more of your attention to the things of the Lord than you are when you're married because you have to give time and attention to some other things as well. There's a freedom in it. That's the first advantage. second advantage is focus. He says, the married person's interests are divided, right? 
They're divided between the Lord and their spouse. They have now two priorities in their life that they have to deal with, and they have to find a way to balance those two things together. It divides their focus. But the single person is single-minded in their devotion and in their focus to honor the Lord. Right? They're going after that. And so in the mornings, they can have a quiet morning reading the Bible and, and praying to the Lord without having to deal with an interruption from someone else in the house. Right? They can go out and serve and, and minister to others in the afternoons without having to stop for diaper changes or for nap times. Right? They, can make, um, they can go out and fellowship at night without a curfew and having to get back for responsibilities in that way. They can make decisions about their future to go and serve the Lord in some gospel situations without worrying about how is this decision going to affect my spouse or my kids. There's a focus that they can have that you can't have when you're divided in a marriage situation. The third advantage is flexibility. Again, it says the married person has to please their wife or husband, meaning that they are now accountable to someone else besides themselves. Right? And we teach all the couples that come through our premarital counseling this statement. You have to learn to say this when you're married. Let me check with my spouse. Right? We have, like, that's, that's like number one. Let me check with my spouse. Because you no longer have unilateral control of your schedule. You now have to work with someone else to figure that out. As a single person, you do. You have greater flexibility because you don't have to account for a spouse in your schedule or decisions. And so you're more flexible to say yes to the opportunities that God presents before you. Like you can meet up with that friend last minute at 11.30 at night and pray with them, right? You can step out and, and do some emergency babysitting for some, church, for some family in the church who's in need, right? You can step out and serve in a risky, God-glorifying opportunity without fear of how that's going to affect someone else in your household. There's a flexibility to it that you have in your singleness. So freedom, focus, flexibility, these are the three advantages that Paul highlights here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for singles. And then he says this. He says, I say this for your benefit, not restraint. Right? In other words, I'm saying this not to hold you back. I'm not trying to stick you with this. I'm trying to free you up so you can use the gift that God's given you for this time to serve him in greater ways. He says, so that you can secure an undivided devotion to the Lord. That one of the reasons God gives us seasons of singleness is so that we can give 100% of ourselves in devotion to him. Not simply fill our singleness or our time with other things. Singleness is, the purpose of singleness is not to fill it with distractions. Like video games or parties or building up your socials. It's not to fill it with our own personal desires, like self-indulgent purposes and substances and experiences and trips. It's not to, to pursue our personal dreams of career advancement or certain accolades before the Lord. It's a golden opportunity to grow deeper in devotion to the Lord that will then benefit you for the rest of your life. Because you've done the work now. Whatever it is that God has in store for you, this is laying a foundation for the future. You know, we're really blessed 
here at Harvest to have a number of singles that really do get this, and they're pouring themselves out for the Lord, right? This summer, we sent a, a mission team to Memphis to serve inner city kids and to share the gospel with them. Over half that team were singles because they had the flexibility to go and to do that, right? We have singles that are serving in our kids' ministry and in our student ministry every week, discipling the next generation, including our student director himself, Mason, who's leading the charge on that, and they're pouring themselves out to to disciple these kids because they have the time to focus on that more so than maybe some others. We have single men and women who are leading small groups in our church every week, and they're using their time to minister to and disciple other adults in our church because they have the freedom to do that in their schedule. One person that particularly came to my mind, and she'll hate me saying this, but is Kimberly Wood. Kimberly is a smart, accomplished young woman, both in her career and in her life, and yet she still makes it a priority to serve the Lord every week. She leads one of our ladies' small groups on Monday nights. She serves as a leader in our student ministry on Wednesday nights. And she's already got two nights committed to the church and to the Lord. She still takes other nights to go to different kids' ball games and events and shows up and just loves on them, right? She serves on Sunday mornings as well in various, all kinds of various roles. She has had hosted student events at her house, overnight events, bringing a bunch of teenagers into her house overnight. Some of y'all are not getting the gravity of that because you haven't done that in a long time, Right? She's taken an entire week of personal vacation to go to camp with them. She's pouring herself out for the Lord. And why is she doing that? Partly because her singleness gives her some additional opportunities to do that, but more importantly because she has a devotion to the Lord that makes her want to love and serve in all these ways. And she's growing in that all the time. She's using the gift that God's given her for this time period. So singleness in any season is a gift to help us grow our devotion to God. It's a gift that he gives to help us grow our devotion to him. Singleness and devotion. Last thing, real quickly, is singleness and desire. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, here's what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly... that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble." Now, I know this passage isn't specifically about singleness, but Paul here, he's teaching us a very important lesson, a very important lesson for all of us, but I think it applies even more specifically to those who are single, and that's this. Contentment and desire can coexist. Contentment and desire can coexist. They are not opposites. You do not have to sacrifice one to achieve the other. 
right? Paul here, he, he is both content to labor on for the Lord, even in his lack, but he is also desirous and thankful for the support of the Philippian church. It's both at the same time. Content and desire. And so desiring marriage while you're still single is not a bad thing. It's not wrong. It's actually a good desire that God gives to those who are meant to receive it. You don't need to be ashamed of that. You don't need to be discouraged in that desire in any way. As long as it doesn't become your main desire. That's where we get into a problem. Right? What do I mean by that? How can I be content in the gift of singleness while still desiring marriage? How do those fit together? Paul tells us in verse 12, he says, hey, I've learned the secret. Like, you, you almost hear him like whispering, like, hey, I've learned the secret. Let me tell you. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is, this is what it really means here. It's not the, the athletic shirt. Like, this is what it's actually supposed to be, okay? Like, he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I must be satisfied in Christ no matter what my relationship status is. When I start thinking that I need marriage or any other relationship to satisfy me or complete me, then it becomes an idol. And I'll lose my contentment in the Lord. If I'm seeking it first above everything else, then I'm not content in Christ, and that makes me weak. Because I'm dependent on myself to make it happen. But when I seek Him first, Paul says, when I seek Him first, He will give me strength to both embrace that desire, but also still be content in who He is in my life with Him. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in, in, every, in any and every circumstance. Whether I'm single or married, in every circumstance, the key is to desire Jesus the most. Find my contentment in Him. Let Him be the one who controls my desires. Seek Him first. And so my encouragement to you this morning, if you're single, would be don't be sidelined by consuming desire for marriage. Don't let that steal the season of your life. Don't be sidelined by consuming desire for marriage. Instead, be strengthened by consuming desire for Jesus. Go after Him more. Seek Him first. And let Him fill all of that until He decides in the future to maybe give you the gift of marriage. So again, this all comes back to that opening statement. Don't waste your gift. If you have that gift right now, don't waste it. And I know that for some of you, you're still bristling under the language of that statement because there's a lot of pain associated with singleness for you. You're like, Micah, this, it, I, singleness does not feel like a gift, at least not one that I want or one that I like. And I hear that. It feels more like a trap than a gift. But all I know to say is that when I look at the scriptures, the Lord says otherwise. 
And so not in a judgmental or condemning way in any way. I'm just in a, as gracious as I can. I just want to encourage you to look to the Lord and let him show you the value and the way that he wants to use this gift in your life, even if it's one that you don't really want. Will you submit to him? Will you let him grow you and change you and use you for his glory even in this season? Even in this time, however long that is. Will you seek him first in your singleness and receive whatever he has for you? And married couples, we need to celebrate and encourage that in them as they seek the Lord. We're a family. We do this together, no matter what stage of that we're in. Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the way that it speaks to every single issue that we can come in contact with, God. And I pray right now, Heavenly Father, that you would just send down your spirit, you would send down your grace to cover all the hearts in the room right now, God, that are feeling the ache of their singleness, the ache of their desire. And that you would help us process all these emotions that are in the room, both the hope and the heartache, both the comfort and the confusion, both the boldness and the bitterness. Lord, we know that it all is level at the foot of the cross. So wherever we are right now, God, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us in grace and in truth. Help us, Lord, to receive all that you have for us and trust that whatever you give us is best because you are the Lord, because you are the sovereign one. We trust you, God. Pray all this in Christ's name.